to Potter's Bluff. Scream 101. I'm Brennan Klein, and this is the second week of our fundraiser special episode month. Um, anyone who donated $20 or more got to pick an, a movie for us to review on the show. And last week, I did promise um, that we would be watching Killer Condom, and guess what? As always happens, schedules got mixed up. Um, so we're hopefully doing that next week. We're still doing it. It's I just watched it again, and it's great still. Um, but yeah, that's happening later. Um, this episode, we're doing Dead and Buried, and our special guest is Ryan Larson. I'm, of course, going to reintroduce him in about two seconds, but just so you know, that's what's going on. Killer Condom, hopefully next week, and we'll see you then. And let's welcome to the show Ryan Larson, the co-host of the Keep Screaming podcast, and of course, the editor-in-chief of GhastlyGrinning.com, to which I am a contributor. Say hi to the nice people, Ryan. Hello. Hi, everyone. Do you want to describe the work that you do a little bit better than I can? Uh, sure. Uh, so I did freelance writing for a long time. Um, Ryan Turek actually gave me my first freelance writing gig in the horror industry uh, when he was the editor of Shock Till You Drop. And then I, I was didn't kind know of that. Around. Yeah. Um, that was like four or five years ago now. Oh, um, sweet. Whenever- Whenever that show Hotel 666 came out, or whatever that show was called, that was the very first thing um, I pitched to him. I barely remember that show, but congrats. Yeah, I pitched it, and he's like, no one cares about that show, but if you have, if you want to write more stuff, I got more stuff for you. And I was like, yes, I would love to do that. Uh, so I wrote for them for a couple years, and then Ryan left, and whoever took over Shock just had no contact with me. So I kind of uh-huh. floated around. Uh, I did stuff with Diabolique. I did uh, just like things here and there. And then I started the Shockwaves Horror Movie Club on Facebook, uh, which if you guys don't listen to the Shockwaves podcast, you can. And we have a huge like 6,000 group, 6,000 people group over on Facebook. Yeah, it's really cool. That's where we met. Yes. And I just met a ton of like-minded people through there. And uh, funny story, I got drunk on New Year's like two years ago and i messaged like five of them and i was like you guys are cool i like you and we stayed friends and then like a year later we decided to launch our own website and that's how ghastly grinning came about and uh ghastly grinning is all about uh our our slogan is make horror happy uh i got really tired of all the negativity that came out of um kind of like critical analysis of films like i felt like People took the critical part too serious and just broke parts – like broke film apart instead of celebrating and enjoying it. Wait, and hold on. Also- you're, you're saying fan communities can be negative? <laughs> that, sounds, yeah. that sounds crazy. Sounds unlikely. I know. I'm only a comic book fan, wrestling fan, movie fan. Oh, Those yikes. fans are never uh, volatile at all. Impenetrable. So, Paragons yeah, we- of virtue. <laughs> so we decided um, we wanted to create somewhere that people could go to – uh, know that they would find something positive, and then also we're uh, we're very you know like I'm not scared to say it. We're very progressive, and we're all about uh, making sure that 
um, like pushing for like minority representation in film, so that is like everything LGBTQ female representation, um, making sure that masculine toxic- toxicity doesn't exist in film. Like we push those things a lot too. So if you're not into that, we are not the site for you. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's that's what we do, and then I do the Keep Screaming podcast with my best friend B. Uh, that's every two weeks we pick one slasher film and completely just dissect that film um, from the directing, acting, music, design, everything, and we rank those. Uh, which we uh, we B and I both did a show with you earlier this year. Yes, um, it was our like top five of a 2017 episode from New Year's. You should go check that out. And also, yeah, check out Keep Screaming, which I guess I'm a producer on. I've never called myself that, but I it's, yeah, I mean you're on every you're you're uh, you got a tag yeah, on my, every episode. My squeaky voice at the beginning. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm not only am I involved in getting the show out in the world, but I am a listener of the show and. It's a great podcast. I really enjoy it all the time, even though sometimes I want to yell at you guys when you don't like the movies that I like. Yeah. Um, there are certain reactions that you've had to movies that are just mystifying to me, but I enjoy the show very much. Uh, we get that a lot. It's That's definitely one of my favorite things, and that's why we encourage people to like reach out to us. Um, so I'm at Ryan Larson on Twitter at keep screaming if you want to, uh, or at screaming cast, sorry, if you want to reach out to us. But Hell yeah. I, lo- I love... Um, the day after an episode goes up and I'll get my friends messaging me and they're like, how did you rank Slaughter High so low? Like, or or just things like just completely confused as to like how we didn't. Um, I, I feel like we like every movie that we watch, but we definitely have reactions to things where we're like, I don't understand what's happening. And people are like, how do you not understand what's happening? Um, no, and, I love and, that. I, and I don't want to sound negative about that. I, I was a little peeved that you didn't like Terror Train quite as much as I hoped you would. But that's just because I wanted to spread joy. But the fact that um, you do have opinions that are, like, away from the party line is part of what makes your podcast so interesting. Yeah, and it's weird, too, because my whole life I've always felt like I'm pretty in groove with those things. Like, like I, I'm always, like, even when I first started writing reviews, I would check and read other people's reviews to be like, am I completely out of line here? Like, do I match up with people? And most of the time I felt like I did. And since we've started the podcast, it's like people love Terror Train. And I was like, I and I, it's totally something I want to revisit because there are tons of movies in my life that I was like, that movie is garbage. And then two, three years later, I watch it and I'm like, no, that movie is magical. Uh-huh. Um, so I'll, I, I will get back to Terror Train and I'm excited to do that. But that was that was actually definitely one where I was like, um, I don't get the love for this movie. Like I get why people like it. I don't get the love for it. I, I yeah, that does make sense because. Especially if you're coming at it expecting a slasher movie, it kind of isn't the like quintessential what you want from a slasher movie. Like it's not gory. It's not well. Okay, this is not a review of Terror Train, but um, no, I mean that was the the same approach that I when I first saw Black Christmas, I was expecting like this crazy gory slasher, and that's not what I got, and I kind of didn't like it. But when I rewatched it, I was like, this is a straight up masterpiece. Oh and, yeah, man. I'm not saying Terror Train is, but there's, like, expectations and things like that. I do. I will say um, David Blaine will probably always be my favorite part of that movie. Um, no. Um, no, um, not David Blaine. Um, yeah, too contemporary. Uh, wow, David Copperfield. Yes, thank you. David Copperfield. Yeah, his his mysticism is continually my favorite part of that film. Yeah, he's hypnotic. 
Um, but anyway, what we're here to talk about is the 1981 film Dead and Buried that was uh, recommended to us by listener. Well, I don't know if he listens, but he's a friend of the show. Um, his name is Patrick Hamilton. He's from the Kill by Kill podcast. And you, oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, you may be hearing him on these airwaves sooner than later this month. Um, but yeah, so he recommended that we watch this movie. And yeah, the ah, I should have loaded up a plot synopsis. I did not do that, so I'm going to do that right now. But what I will say is a couple of the key personnel on this movie. It was directed by Gary Sherman. Now, does that name ring a bell to you, Ryan? Um, so it did when I like when I started. I I didn't want to like dive too deep into the film before I watch it because I like to be surprised by things. So yes, um, when I saw the name though, I was like, that sounds familiar. And when I looked at his filmography after, I think it literally just sounds familiar because I knew he did did Dead and Buried. And this is definitely a show that I knew nothing or a movie that I knew nothing about prior to hearing them talk about it pretty continuously on the shockwaves podcast that we talked about. Um, and I think, I think that's really the first place the cover I remember forever. Oh, the cover's great. Yeah. The cover I rem- I distinctly actually remember seeing at my local video store in my hometown and I, but I know I never saw it. And then Gary Sherman, the name, I think I, it was just like pot, uh, shockwaves recollections. Okay. That makes sense. Cause th- I think they ha- maybe had him on the show at some point. I know they um, had someone involved, I think. Yeah. But but the thing where the so, sorry, what I was where I was coming from with the opening credits, I was like, "Oh yeah, Gary Sherman, the director of Poltergeist 3." That's his other big title, and I love Poltergeist 3. <laughs> so, I don't think I've ever seen Poltergeist 3. Have you seen 2? I have. Okay, it's way better than 2, at least in my opinion, although that's a minority opinion unless you're on the Shockwaves podcast. I have some weird, like, memories of 2. Um, they're, like, I feel like I, a lot of movies, a lot of horror movies I saw as a kid because my mom wouldn't let me watch rated R movies. So I was, like, a an, an avid, like, sci-fi TNT, like, scrounger of, okay. of horror movies. So I a lot of movies I saw as a kid were from those, so they're all, like, TV edits and I, I know for a fact I remember watching Poltergeist 2 with my brother and both of us being, like, really, like, weird. I, and it was before I saw the first Poltergeist, too. So it was just, like, oh. a really weird – it was a very odd experience. We were like, what is happening And it's in a this bizarre movie? movie. It's super weird, yeah. But uh, I do want to get around to Poltergeist 3 as well as – I've also never seen The Exorcist 3. So I want to get around to that, too. Okay. Yeah, maybe maybe next charity drive. Yes. Um, but yeah, also the special effects on this movie were provided by Stan Winston, who's, you know, like a legend. He did Jurassic Park and Pumpkinhead and a lot of things. And um, did, did he do American Werewolf? I think that was – oh, I hope I'm not wrong. I think that was Rick Baker. Okay. Um, or did he do The Howling? The, ha- the I know The Howling and American Werewolf were Rick Baker and Rob Bottin, but I don't remember which one did which. Oh, Okay. It was just – there was a scene in this that really brought that kind of effect to mind. Yeah, I, yeah. I think everyone learns a little bit from Stan Winston. He's very influential. Yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, and also did you notice 
there was a cameo, not a cameo, but this was before he was famous, but a very, very famous horror icon was in this movie as well. I don't mean I to did. quiz you. No, I saw Robert England. Hell yeah. yeah. Robert yes, England absolutely. is in this movie for two seconds. Yep, uh, just no lines as uh, maybe he's like sentence. two lines. Yeah, he's like I uh, pulled a car out on my tow truck. Yeah, as like he's like uh, one of the townspeople. Um, and then also I did notice that uh, oh Steve O'Bannon, I believe was the screenwriter or credited Dan- at least or Dan, Dan O'Bannon. O'Bannon. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, which of course he wrote Alien. Yes, and uh, he wrote and directed Return of the Living Dead. Although, according to the IMDb trivia, which is questionable at best, like, he may or may not have actually written the script, and, like, he kind of got cheated into including his name on there. I saw that, actually. So after I was done, I was reading up, and it said that he was like, uh, I didn't really write it. They just threw it on there so it'd get more credibility. Yeah. I don't know about that. Maybe he was trying to pull a Joss Whedon and being like, oh, it wasn't well-received. I'm going to distance myself from this. Yeah. Um, um Another fun fact for me uh, that I'll throw at you, it was sure. partially filmed in Mendocino, which is the county of my hometown. Oh, that's great. Yeah, um, it's a little coastal town. That's beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. the only context I have for Mendocino is that there is a German song about Mendocino. That's um, weird. Yeah. That it, you, like, know that randomly? Well, I did. I took German classes in college, so... I, that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, it, it's not just like sitting there in my iTunes because it's not great. It's a very folky song, but it's like Mendocino. Um, I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure it's also where they filmed the birds. Like, Or no, that's Bodega Bay. Yeah. Somewhere well, up there. Somewhere Bodega up there. Bay is the fictional place, but it's – I think it was maybe the same county. I was getting severe Bodega Bay, like Antonio Bay from The Fog vibes from this movie. Hardcore the fog vibes. I got that a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, like real that. quick. Yeah. I before we get too distracted, I'm gonna give you the plot synopsis from yes. IMDb. A suspense horror film set in a small coastal town, where after a series of gory murders committed by mobs of town people against visiting tourists, the corpses begin to come back to life. Also, spoilers. I guess we're spoiling this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, spoilers. But you you should know that coming in. Um, anyway, so we rate all of our movies out of five on scariness, campiness, effects, and quality. So why don't we start with scariness, and then we can bring, like, bring the fog back into that conversation. All right. Uh, do you want to go first? you want me to go first? Uh, I want to know what you, our special guest, thinks about this movie. Were you scared by it at all? Out of five. <laughs> out of five? Yes. Um, hmm. Okay. I think I'd give it, um, like a two. That's fair. I'm landing on three, but I see where you're coming from. It definitely – so there's a big difference. There were definitely a couple moments that got me, and I think that it had a couple decent jump scares um, that after being a longtime fan of horror, I kind of saw coming. Of but, course, yeah. Um, there was well, a lot you... of it. Sorry, you know, um, you know how there's always a cat that jumps out at someone? Yes. Like, obviously, that scare in this movie was telegraphed, but did you expect that it would be a chicken? Uh, no, I did not at all. Uh, I, I was actually expecting a cat or a person, but it was a chicken, yeah. Um, but I Terrifying. would say, like, this this movie was – I was actually thinking of that when I was watching it. I was like, this doesn't scare me, but it is incredibly unsettling. Yes, it's uncanny. 
Yeah, it's like there's all these weird, especially any of the like the weird, the super weird photography stuff. You mean, it, oh, cause, yeah, because the mobs of townspeople that are killing like random tourists, they're constantly taking pictures of these people. Yes, like I did not understand. Like I don't think that's ever really explained. And then at the end, when they are going over the like, he's literally just playing the film, and it's yeah. all like very voyeuristic, but like really creepy voyeur. Yeah, it's like a sinister movie. Yes, it really like gave me sinister like like those kind of vibes, um, like any of those moments. But they were kind of few and far between. Um, the, I would say like there wasn't a whole lot that actually scared. Like when the townspeople are showing up and doing the actual murdering, none of that actually scared me. I also I like I I kind of was just like, what's happening. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's really weird. Maybe it's like Twin Peaksy in a certain way, or it it I don't know. Maybe that's not a good comparison, but it it, it is just kind of inexplicable in a way that you kind of can't get off of your skin. I guess. Um, like the opening scene, it takes place on this little stretch of beach. It's a very rocky beach that reminds me of that the opening scene of Greece, um, which I always think of when I see a beach like that, but. There's a weird photographer taking pictures of this lady he just finds, and she's willing to go topless. And I was like, well, this can't end well. And, of course, all the town people descend and, like, wrap this guy up in a net and set him on fire. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Yeah, like, I was expecting maybe a sea monster or she would stab him. But, no, it's it's a mob, and it's crazy. Yeah, um, I definitely – that scene – so I started, by the way – Funny story. I started this movie uh, on my lunch at work, so oh great! I'm just watching it at my desk, and my employee walks in the back, and she's like, "Uh, what are you watching?" And I was like, "It's a movie. <laughs> I promise, it's not <laughs> weird. I'm, I'm going to be on a podcast. I can show you." Um, but it was literally when she gets topless on the on the beach. oh, of and, course, the one scene in that movie too. Yep, and like it, that scene felt so. When did this movie come out? Eighties, eighty one. Cause it, okay, that makes sense. Cause it felt very seventies to me. Yeah, still um, lingering. The that decades hadn't quite scrubbed out yet. Yeah, and like that scene to me, very much like I don't know. It was it almost before you like you understand like the supernatural twist and everything, and like that weird kind of like that weird kind of brutality and, and like the way it's filmed was very like almost like Straw Dogs Last House, like not as severe but similar vein. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of um, matter-of-fact about its violence. It's not making crazy statements about it. It's just kind of happening, and that's eerie. Yes, absolutely agree with that. Yeah, and, and, and there's, a, there's a lot of scenes like that, and like just the, the scenes of crowds of people being backlit through this small coastal town. Like it, it is very The Fog, and as much as I don't love The Fog, like the atmosphere is obviously there, and they're kind of recreating it here. You don't love the fog? Uh, uh no. Oh, boy. I, I have I have a tough time with John Carpenter. I find his pacing very deliberate and I kind of feel like I kind of hit the movie and slide right off usually even though I can appreciate his aesthetics. Man, that kind of you just like floored me a little bit there. I'm so sorry. That's like I don't like the Beatles. Which I don't, but, like, it, it's still, like, when I say that statement, that's the reaction that people normally have. Like, that's the reaction I just had. Look, I'm not saying I don't like Halloween. Halloween's right. a good movie. But, no, uh, the, the the fog is fine. 
Um, I think this movie actually had a very similar sense of pacing to The Fog, which we will get to later, I think. But um, what else is there? Oh, the finale I thought was really creepy. The um, finale was probably my favorite part of the movie. Oh, yeah. It's it's kind of genius and crazy and bonkers. It, it just super goes for it. Like, you kind of get these illusions of what's happening. Like, they they – are giving you bits and pieces because if you don't know, and I went in completely blind, like I was unaware. I mean, we can, I guess we can just, it's a zombie movie technically. Yeah. But like, um, like the voodoo sense of what that means. Right. And so I was completely unaware. So just like you, I mean, I think the twin speak analogy is not like that far off base. You're like, are these just like weird people? Is this like a wicker man situation? Um, like what's going yeah, on here? I was getting cult vibes at first. Right. And then, Especially, like, the way the townspeople acted. And then there's finally that scene where, like, the family's fighting the the people and she rips her forehead off. And I was just, like, I – that's when I finally was like, oh, okay. Like, they're supernatural of some sort. And even, like you were saying, like, they're very backlit. Like, they kind of – sometimes they – and I think it was on purpose. They, they appear on screen, like, or in the shot almost as if they're ghosts. Like, from yeah. – Again, another uh, fog situation. Yeah, big time. Um, but yeah, no. But so, so this final scene, uh, it's revealed that the like kind of voodoo king that's been creating this band of zombies that recruits other zombies by violently murdering people to be recreated. Um, like it is this mortician who's obsessed with like recreating dead bodies, like and restoring their former beauty, and. So he's playing all of these images of these violent deaths in with, like, six projectors going in different directions all around his office. And then he reveals that the main guy, Lieutenant no, – Detective Dan or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, oh, I almost felt like they called him Lieutenant Detective and Corporal, like, all over that movie. But I was like, uh, he's a cop. Yeah. He's, he's a bland cop who kind of reminds me of Roy from Friday the 13th Part 5. Yeah. Um, and so it's revealed that his wife has been dead this whole time, and she shows up, and she's like – it's kind of like Stepford wives Like, she's been programmed with certain memories and feelings or whatever, but she's dead. And she just shows up in this new context of, like, knowing that she's dead, and she kind of has, like, a scratch across her face, and she's just doing all of this small talk about how her day was at work and what he wants for dinner. Um, it's just really – that got to me. It's very eerie. That that whole scene and I like the mortician. I think is he was so so good in that whole movie. Oh, and yeah, he it, he notched it up. Yeah, and he plays off the cop like a certain like I noticed like almost right away like how they bounce off each other because he's very like verbose and wordy, and the cop is very like to the point and blunt and like kind of you know not. I don't think, like, incredibly well-educated. Um, so they were, like, kind of playing off each other in that aspect. I mean, it's kind of weird, like, how this... Like, when it ends, I definitely have questions. I'm like, um, I have some questions yes. about things because it doesn't completely make sense, but it's super enjoyable still. Yeah, and... Yeah, no, it was just crazy. And, like, he's shooting his wife, and she's just talking about pork chops. And, it, no, just, that scene's intense. And then the final reveal... I honestly wasn't expecting, even though I probably should have been. Um, yeah, did that, did that? Did you see that coming? I had so I mean it's it's like your classic like 
two curveballs because you get one. So you're like, oh, that's the twist. And then it's like, oh, that's the twist. Like, just another twist. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't, though. I, I I didn't. And then that as soon as that happened, I, I was like, well, now I have more questions. <laughs> but Very true. Um, but like, he's just playing – Oh, sorry. Uh, that last sh- – I was just going to say that last sh- – literally the last shot in the movie is my favorite shot in the whole movie. Yes. it's So it's revealed that the Detective Dan has actually also been dead this whole time, which, like, literally it it's a, it's a twist ending that's in almost all movies. Yep. <laughs> but it's still surprising. Especially when, like, you start to realize the in- – Oh, the entire town is dead. No, the whole town is dead. And then for some reason, I just didn't connect the dots. I'm like, well, that would mean he's dead too. And yeah, well, the whole time I was wondering, I was like, why is he the only one not participating? I was, I don't know. It felt like um, Jaws where like there's the one sheriff guy and he knows about the shark and no one else believes him about the shark except like Jaws plus invasion of the body snatchers. Um, And yeah, no, I was just like, why is he the only one? Because his wife is clearly in on it, too. She has, like, books about witchcraft in her sock drawer. Well, and it's weird, like, okay, so I think the weird part is, for me, it's basically implied that this doctor, like, programs them because he tells her, or he tells the cop, like, I gave her, like, just, like, sex and love and, and being a wife, pretty much. And, like, everyone else, I gave them a former, like, shadow of their past life so they could kind of continue the semblance of a life. But, like, your wife is your wife. And the whole time I, I, I'm, i like, wondering if he programs them, did he, like, want someone to find out? Did he want, like, was he – did he need a challenge? Like, I don't understand because he – if he's the one programming them, he would have to either tell the cop, like, or program the cop to have this drive or I guess it could be the drive of still being a police officer. Like that, I I was a little confused by because – I think I cracked it. Yeah. Because before that reveal happens, um, uh, Detective Dan, uh, he he kills the mortician and makes him into a zombie. And maybe that was his goal. He needed to be killed by somebody else in order to become like the zombie king, like an undead forever. Oh. That makes sense. That, a little. That actually makes a lot. I mean, that makes a lot of sense of like, oh, I have this zombie kingdom and now I, I need to become part of it to be the true king. Yeah. And like, that's not at all in the text, but I, I can believe that as his motivation. I'm down for that. That's canon now. We made that. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Um, one more scary thing before we move on. Seeing Robert Englund not in makeup is never not creepy anymore. <laughs> I, it's so bizarre for me. And then like, yeah, I, I'm. And he's so young too in it. Oh yeah, so it's it's just super weird. That's even in um, New Nightmare. Every time he's playing Robert England, I'm like, this is weird. This creeps me out. Yeah, no, just the Freddie is such an iconic figure, and you can see so much of his like his nose and his like brows in f- just uh, it, it's uncanny now because he's so famous in that other role. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, speaking of, um, last year when we did a charity drive, Patrick Hamilton made us watch Galaxy of Terror, which was also a 1981 scary movie that also featured an appearance by Robert England. <laughs> so, Is he, like, giving you, like, weird, obscure Robert England cameo movies? I don't know. It? I don't know if this is his thing on purpose, doing 81 Robert England. I don't know if next year he's going to do, like, that one episode of Heart to Heart that he did, but we shall see. <laughs> That's a deep cut. 
I looked it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't just know that. He was also on Chips that year. I believe it. In the 80s, I feel like everyone was everywhere. Oh, yeah, especially those those particular TV shows. But yeah. But let's move on to campiness. Out mm-hmm. of five, like, how campy would you say you found this movie to be? Um, I give it a three. Yeah, me too. Um, was there a particular moment that stood out to you? So I didn't think it was, like, overtly campy because there are movies that try to be campy, and I, this was not that movie. And no, not at all. It's a very serious movie that's a, just a little over the top, I guess. Yeah, I think most of it for me came from the mortician. He's a very big, like, scene chewer. Um, Absolutely. So, As all yeah. mortician characters should be. Yeah, so a lot of it was definitely coming from him. Um, and there was just some I, – and I don't even think it was – because campiness is such a weird thing because I think when you try to be t- when you try to be campy, you can ruin it and it comes off as like cheap, um, and it has to be like this inherent thing that happens from the time and like the people. And so there was definitely some like some of the acting like was um, in particular uh, the woman who was like had the kid. Oh and, my god! Um, her like even my wife was like, why is she talking like that? Um, and I was like, I, I don't know. And you know what? I think it had some weird ADR things. I, I would say one of the like campier things in it was actually that guy who's like drunk and stumbling around talking to the fish about how he gets oh. to play with boats forever. Yeah, he's like, don't tell me how to do boats. I've boats all my life. Yeah, and he's like, you are dead, and I get to keep playing with boats. And I was like, this is weird. And also, like, it seems like it's not coming out of his mouth, which I think is an ADR problem. Uh-huh. Um, and it's and it's those to me it's those kind of things that just like get messed up in post or, or like it's when a movie tries really hard and falls flat on its face which this didn't do um, but it's like those kind of just like weird one offs so it's like a three it's not super campy but it's definitely not like completely serious yeah and I actually there actually is a story behind that lady's weird um, line situation um, I was reading on the IMDb again. Um, so basically that scene is there's a father and a mother with their kid who have come into cha- town and they've like wandered into this empty house because they're stupid as hell. Um, yeah, God, she's just, like, she was on my list of campiness too, just because she's like, we need ice for Jamie's head. Let's go into this empty house with no electricity. I need ice, Ronnie ice. Well, and then but, she's like, and che- go check the basement to make sure the fuse box. I'm like, you're in some stranger's house. Why are you going into their basement to look for a fuse yeah. box? That's literally no, she insane. Was like, she was like, maybe they're fixing the fuse box, and that's where they are. It's like, go to a different house. You're not in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, um, so apparently they couldn't get that kid actor for night shoots because of the child labor law thing. Um, so what they did is they surrounded the entire house with this big tent that made it look pitch black. But that made it heat up really quickly, so they had a lot of fans going, so they wouldn't get heat stroke. Um, so the audio was completely unusable for that scene. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense, and that, I, that's pretty much what I thought. I was like, "Yeah, this seems like something that happened in post, like just a weird mix-up." Yeah, absolutely. Like I did notice that too. I was like, "Cause her mouth keeps moving, but she's not saying anything." <laughs> it's like you're watching a Godzilla movie that's been dubbed. It's very yeah. strange. It, and it, for some reason, like, in that scene in particular felt like a scene from something from the 50s. 
Yes, it did. Yeah, it, 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 it came out of nowhere, and they die, but they'd never come back as part of the zombie horde, so it's kind of just random. It's, that whole scene was almost just built to make it so the, the cop can eventually be chasing someone and find the arm on the grill of his car. Yeah, I don't know. By the way, that arm looked great, but more on that later. Yes. Um, one more thing. My favorite character in this movie was um, Betty, who was the assistant to the detective guy at his office. Um, oh, yeah. She's just like this really old lady who works in the in the sheriff's office, and she loves using radio lingo. She's like, Unit 1, confirm. And he's like, you can call me by my name. And she's like, Unit 1. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just loved her. She was very enthusiastic. No, that was like one of the first lines that stuck out to me when he's like, it's all these damn cop TV shows. I'm telling you, like, that's that's what's doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, there's definitely like a little bit of a playful sense with them. And is she a zombie? Is she not? Nobody knows. I liked her and I liked um, the waitress. Like, oh, the, she was, the one with the hair that was, looked like Minnie Mouse? Yeah, she was very bizarre. There was one scene – the. <laughs> That first scene that she shows up in when they're talking about, like, the the kid that caught on fire, and she's standing behind them, and she just says something, like, to interrupt her sentence, and it zooms up on her face and then transitions yeah. out. It was so weird. I was like, that was very bizarre because it, like, makes a point to zoom up on her as she's like, yeah, it was awful. And then it <laughs> has, like, this really old, like, transition of, like, her face, but it's fading. And I'm like, that was super kind of out of place and weird, but okay, I'll go with it. No, that that was the Goosebumps-esque cliffhanger to that scene because she was the one who was, like, holding the match that killed the guy in the beginning. And you're like, oh, my God, it's her. Um, it's funny that you mentioned Goosebumps because for some reason, like, watching that, I was like, oh, some of this makes me think of Goosebumps. I don't know. There was just something about it. Yeah, like the the, the campfire story quality to it. Yeah, and but, also just, like, the whole, uh, I don't know, like, the what are these? Like, I don't know, anything that gives me, a, like, any sort of twist like that now because I'm a 90s kid, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like Goosebumps. Yeah, only 90s kids will understand Dead and Buried. <laughs> Anyway, um, what's your effects score? And let's let's uh, let's remember Stan Winston provided these for us. Yeah, uh, effects. I I want to give it a five, but I gotta go four because I just I feel like it never went all out. Yes, I am at four as well, and I was teetering towards a three, but I decided to err on the side of being cool and nice. Yeah, I would love to give it a five because I love Stan Winston, and um, like you said, that arm on the front of the grill was cool. My, my favorite shot of the film, to me, when his hands are decomposing. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, we didn't totally talk about that. Yeah, so when he turns – when the cop turns around and, like, you get the reveal that he's also dead, um, and he, like, turns around so his hands are decomposing – and, uh, the, you know, the doctor offers to fix it for him, and he kind of, like, screams, and it fades out, and that's, like, the end of the movie. Um, that was, for me, that's what made me think of, like, American Werewolf, because of how the hands are, like, kind of gnarled, and they look oh, like yeah. they're, in, they're like, kind of, like, enlarging. Um, and that scene, in particular, for me, was super cool. I loved that. The, all the, like, murder stuff was okay. Uh, it wasn't, like, super – it definitely – you could tell that it's an experienced effects artist because it didn't look bad. It just wasn't – With one exception. Which, which one? Um, the guy who gets acid poured up his nostrils and his face turns into a paper mache balloon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, maybe Stan wasn't there that day. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was the assistant and he saw those dailies and he was like, 
Oh, no. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> so we don't have time for this. Yeah, everything else looks great, though. Like, there's a guy who gets stabbed in the eye with a needle. Oh, that was super cool. Yeah. And, um, obviously, like, the big showcase sequence is, um, the, you actually get to see the mortician rebuilding this dead girl's entire skull and face and everything. And it's, it's in, like, time-lapse fast motion, kind of like a YouTube makeup tutorial. <laughs> um, but it's really intense. And he, like, opens her eyelids and you see these empty sockets that he puts eyeballs into. It's, it's, if you're squeamish, that scene, not so much. It's very good. Yeah, again, just playing into, like, the mortician being one of the coolest parts of, of, of that movie. And it's so cool, too, because that happens, I feel like, especially in the 70s and 80s, not so much anymore with CG, unfortunately, but um, there were so many movies that were elevated because of how good the effects were. Yeah. And this is definitely one of those movies that, like, if you think of, like, if if they didn't have those moments, it probably wouldn't be. Because I actually really enjoyed it, like, overall. Like, it definitely has some cheese and some camp to it, but I thought it was a really fun movie overall. And part of that is because like you like the scene you just mentioned um like the gnarled hands for me like a lot of that stuff totally plays into being like oh wow that was really cool yeah absolutely and and i do think it's important like to that point to remember that at least for me cheese in camp does not mean i dislike your movie i love that stuff oh absolutely i'm all about it like i said i there's a fine line because i think if you try too hard to be campy you lose it but when when it's like true camp that's my that's my jam that's my favorite and the 80s really is the sweet spot for that because it was a very like clueless excessive generation <laughs> yes i know i it makes me sad to know that one day i will run out of 80s movies to like discover i don't know if that's possible they made so many yeah that's true i mean even now when i think i know it all like a movie comes along and i don't know what was that one you you turned me on to last uh like hack a lantern is that what it was um yeah i lent you my copy even though i technically haven't seen that one yet yeah um but like stuff like that and i'm like uh didn't know this existed so and uh, you know i'm almost 30 years old so hopefully that continues for the rest of my life yeah exactly or like even if you only do slasher films like i know we're both fans of slashers um I'm doing a project from my blog where I review every slasher movie of the 80s, and there's, like, 415 of them, and I'm sure there's more that I'm not aware of. Like, it's it's kind of a never-ending supply, and that's just the slasher subgenre. That's not taking into account any of the other horror stuff that was going on in the 80s, and there was a lot. Yes. Question, actually. Do you count Giallo? Um... For the 80s, yes, but the Giallo kind of melded with the slasher at the beginning of the 80s, so they're kind of one and the same. Gotcha, okay. Um, Like, what most people recognize as Giallo is very 70s, and then in the 80s, you're getting Italian stuff like Stage Fright Aquarius that is kind of more on the American framework, but still, like, weird and stylish. What about, uh, like, Tenenbrae or Opera? I uh, I did, yeah, I did Tenenbrae, which, yeah, it's pretty straightforward jelloey i do i do do those but only if they're from the 80s gotcha okay i was just wondering that's a question i've always had yeah no i I count them for sure i mean they are slasher films they're just like a different kind of uh tradition of them yeah um we do we get derailed by slasher conversation a lot and that is totally fine but what speaking of hidden gems 
I just watched this movie called The Carpenter from 1988. Have you? Yeah, ever you. Heard? No, not until so. As Brendan mentioned at the top of the show, he does do a monthly column for Gasly Grinning called The Horror Sommelier. So- oh Sommelier? yeah, I forgot yeah. I wrote about it there. Yeah, uh, where he pairs up movies that are coming out in theaters now with horror movies from across time. And yeah, I saw you write about it, and I was like, what in the hell is this? It's bananas, and I love it. Um, You have to watch it. Was it Wings Hauser was in it? Is that who it was? Wings Hauser plays a murderous carpenter who may or may not be a ghost. And there's like quasi-80s feminist character dynamics. It's very cool. Yeah, I'm going to have to find it. I especially love any movie like that where it's like a WWE gimmick where they're like, you're the carpenter. So you're you're like, you're just a carpenter and you kill with carpenter things. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man, it's so good. I don't want to talk about it anymore. First of all, because that's not the point of this episode. And second of all, because I don't want to spoil anything because that's a really fun movie. But everyone go watch The Carpenter from 1988. Um, I will find anyway, it. Anyway, Dead and Buried. Uh, what's your overall quality score out of five? Uh, three. Okay. That's where I landed across the board for most things. Um, I'm, I don't know, like I'm, so it's, it's interesting. I, I'm, so with Ghastly Grinning, I try to be very positive about everything, even things that maybe necessarily I don't like. And I try to look at things from the perspective of like, this is, maybe this is someone's favorite movie and things like that. But what would someone uh, who likes this think about this? Right, so um, that's how I try to look at things, but also I do miss, like, sometimes I have to, like, step outside of that and be like, I get to be, I I can still, like, critically analyze things, and I think this movie is, like, super cool, like, on the brink of being, like, a, a, like, to me, it just, it just, like, misses the mark of being something super special. It's, like, something really interesting, and it's definitely a movie that you, like, want to show your friends. Like, you watch and you're like, oh, dude, you got to see Dead and Buried because, like, there's all this, like, it gets totally wacky and stuff, but it doesn't, like, the scares didn't quite hit for me. The effects weren't quite enough for me. Um, so I, I'd give it, like, a, th- a three. But for me, a three is, like, a B, not a C. I know, like, in most, like, grading scales, you're looking, like, three average C plus C and I'm like no no for me a three is like a B and then a four or is like a, a B plus A minus and then a five is like A plus perfect yeah no I totally agree because I'm giving this a three as well um, All right. I've given a five to I think maybe one or two movies throughout this entire podcast and mostly it's ones I've seen before because I'm a very hard sell on perfect scores um, so I totally agree with you there like three is not a diminishment in any way, um, although I do, th- I do find uh, like uh, like I was saying earlier, the way that I find the fog to be deliberately paced, I had the same problem here. I think a lot of the good stuff could have been more concentrated um, because there are kind of large stretches of investigation of a mystery that we kind of already are a couple a couple clues ahead of the main character, because. Um, right. We know something weirds going on with the town. We know the waitress lit a guy on fire because that's the first scene. Um, and the like watching him catch up isn't quite as interesting as if we didn't know any of this. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's a Twilight Zone episode that stretched to feature length, so there is some major padding in between the really cool parts. Absolutely, yeah, super Twilight. I'm actually rewatching Twilight Zone right now too, so it very much was in in tone with that as well. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, it, it, you're right. It falls just short of being something like 
truly special, but it's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it, a movie has to be pretty awful for me to be like, don't even bother watching it. Um, but this is one of those movies that if you're not a horror fan, I'd be like, oh, I don't know if you dig it. But if you are a horror fan, I'm like, no, no, you need you need to at least see this once because yeah, like, there is like, a reason in, like it's around. Like if you're a completist and you're craving that next bump of genre that you haven't experienced before, yes. But this is a movie that I wouldn't sit down and show Sergio, for instance, um, because he is not – like obviously he's interested enough in horror to be my co-host on this show for like – a year and a half at this point, but it, he still doesn't love to plumb the depths of things the way that, like, you or I would. Right. Man, and you know, I, I gotta give it props. I miss the voodoo aspect of zombie movies. Yeah, like, we barely got that in the 80s. It was like this and, like, Serpent in the Rainbow. Oh, yeah, that's it. I mean, it mostly existed in, like, the 40s. Like, I mean, like, Bella Lugosi era of horror, it was very prevalent. Yeah, before uh, but, before George Romero came in and changed everything forever, which is not a complaint. No, not a complaint at all. But it is something I wouldn't mind seeing come back. It's a very cool, like, um, I mean, there were some, like, voodoo aspects in that movie. The Skeleton Key, uh, not, not voodoo zombie, but just, like, voodoo in general. Um, it's a very cool, like, weird thing that's real, which makes it even weirder. Yes. Um, like, I'm not saying, like, voodoo dolls really work, but, like, people practice voodoo for real. Um, so, like, all of that, I, I almost wish they had done more with that in this because it's kind of like written off he's like how did you do this and he's like a little bit of voodoo a little bit of um you know whatever yeah it's not as into the nitty-gritty of voodoo it's using a voodoo as like a catch-all for supernatural stuff yes exactly but it was a cool twist to have like a zombie movie that wasn't you know uh this is well past the point of george romero so it was cool to see zombies that weren't just you know flesh-eating uh mindless zombies yeah, exactly. Like, they're speaking and working and interacting in ways that are, like, chilling. Yes. So so it does get big props for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that sums up my experience with Dead and Buried. It didn't blow me away, but there's a lot in there that I wish was a little more, like, condensed together so I didn't have to sit through the rest of certain parts, like... Like, uh, the ballad of Ronnie and his mom. Oh, no, yeah. Jamie's the kid. Whatever. Um, but it's just, like, that. there are those scenes like that that don't really tie in. Like, the fisherman who dies doesn't really come back. And it's like, why did I watch this drunk fisherman for a minute and a half just babbling about boats? Yeah, there were a couple random little things. It's one of those movies that you watch and you're like, with the right, like, like if you got someone who's really good now, it'd be a super fun remake. Yes, like the, there's that nugget of a concept that is well made, but could be made way better. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know much of um, what Gary Marshall is that his name? The Gary Sherman. Gary Marshall did Gary uh, Sh- Valentine's Day. Oh, okay. So I don't know much of Gary. Like I, I can't speak to Poltergeist three and how good that movie is. Um, uh, or how watch it immediately. Watch it right now, <laughs> and we can record a podcast while you're watching it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I can't speak to, like, his directorial skills outside of this, um, but I, I do agree with you that it has some, like, weird pacing things. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's how it is. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share about this movie? Like, what are you what are you going home with thinking about after seeing this? 
So my final thoughts are pretty much – they're very in line with yours. If you are a horror completist or even just a more – if you have like already done your base level horror and you are starting to go, okay, like I need to – I've seen all the Nightmares Fridays, uh, you know, like all the big ones. What can I start getting into a little more? This should be on that list. Um, okay, it's yeah. Not, it's like somewhere neatly between, you know – uh, I don't know, something as big as, like, it, Nightmare on Elm Street, but before Curtains. <laughs> okay. And, yeah, and it, it did have those slasher elements. It was, like, a slasher-zombie crossover, which yes. was strange. Um, but on the zombie spectrum, I'd probably place it somewhere between, like, oh, like, Return of the Living Dead and, like, I Walked with a Zombie. Like, somewhere in between there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. My zombie, that's another... Almost a blind spot for me because I was a stupid teenager and even into my early early 20s. And I was like, zombies are dumb. And I just decided to, like, not watch zombie stuff anymore. So there's, like, a five, six years where I was just like, no, I won't watch anything with zombies. And now nope. it's like, oh, I wish I had actually spent that time just, you know, catching up on the history of the genre. No, that's fair. And we were definitely in a period of zombie oversaturation because of how popular The Walking Dead is and all of that stuff. Um, but I don't know what I really like zombies, at least the voodoo ones I can take or leave. It depends on how good the movie is. Um, but like the, the virus part of zombies, cause I'm a, I'm really like a hypochondriac. So that like really gets to me the viral element of everything. Yeah. I mean, when I saw 28 days later, I won't lie that that movie floored me. Oh yeah. Yeah. Th- those movies are genius like that and wreck and 28 weeks later. Great. I've still never seen Rack either. Oh, that's my liter- That's my favorite movie of all time. I, I've seen Quarantine. No. I've never seen. <laughs> Erase <laughs> it from your memory. I, I, it, I, it has been. It was one of those movies that was so generic. I don't remember anything but Jennifer Carpenter existing in it. Like, Okay, good. Yeah, that's all uh, I got. I will say Quarantine 2, that one's all right. But um, watch Rack. That movie's a masterpiece. I, um, it's, on the, it's, it's French, right? It's on the list. Uh, no, it's Spanish. Oh, Spanish. Okay, I did. I did like all of the Japanese Korean films for a long time, but I oh, missed wow. out on like yeah, the Argentinian and Spanish stuff. Uh huh. Anyway, um, yeah. Thank thank you so much for joining us. Um, before you head out, though, I want you to tell people where they can find you once more, and maybe tell them if you ha- if you know and if you're willing to share, like what's the next movie you're doing for Keep Screaming. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so the next movie we're doing for Keep Screaming is actually called Hellbent. Um, oh, I love Hellbent. Yeah, so B and I have never seen it, and it touts itself as the first um, like all-gay slasher. Um, so we're going to go ahead and tackle that one. Um, and I, I literally never even heard of it, and it looks awesome, I, even the cover alone. Um, so that's the next one that we're going to cover for Keep Screaming. Um, and then you can find me online all over the place. I mean, if you join the Shockwaves Horror Movie Club on Facebook, I'm the admin there. Um, I'm at Ryan Larson on Twitter. Um, I'm at Ryan Writes Left on Instagram. Uh, then also at Screaming Cast on Twitter and Instagram. At Ghastly Grinning on Twitter and Instagram. Um, so you can find me at all those places. Wow, you're you're a busy bee, and I realize yeah. that's the name of your co-host. So I guess you're a busy Ryan. Yes. <laughs> And wow, thank okay, you yeah. so much for having me, by the way, and for such a great cause. Um, so truly, truly, very, like very honored to be on the show. 
Yeah, no problem. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad whenever we get a chance to talk, and I'm now super excited for your next episode because Hellbent is like a foundational slasher for me. Um, yeah, no queer horror forever. Glad you're doing that representation stuff, and everybody follow all of those things. I know it's a lot, but it's worth it. Thank you. No problem. But yeah. Okay. Go back to your normal life now. Thank you so much for taking time to watch dead and buried and then talk about it for almost an hour <laughs> yeah of course no it was a pleasure okay great all right, all right. send you off fare thee well bon voyage right. thanks Brennan. <laughs> thank you bye bye and you can find us on twitter at scream 101 pod on facebook at scream 101 podcast email us at scream 101 podcast at gmail.com find us on itunes subscribe rate and review us if you give us a five-star review you might just get yourself a copy of cult of chucky which I know, I don't know, I guess it just didn't take off in the way that I was hoping it would. But you really need to watch Cult of Chucky. It's super good. Um, and you can watch it if you give us five stars. So please do that right now. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you're all beautiful people. Good luck in your journey. Stay gold. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. Hey, Brandon? Yeah, Justin? We really need to record a trailer for our podcast. Why? Because that's how we'll get people to tune in. All the great podcasts have them. Oh, okay. Hey, what's this? You own a cassette player? What is this, 1992? This isn't mine. Well, what's on it? Hmm, let's see. Hey everyone, welcome to Eerie Earfuls. Every two weeks we pick a horror movie double feature to compare and contrast for your entertainment. Who chooses rotates each episode. We explain why we chose the films, then proceed to analyze the two. Proceed to analyze the two. Proceed to analyze the two. For your entertainment. You never know what pairings we might choose. You never know. What the hell? Was that... Us on that tape? Hello? Find more episodes on podpeople.me. Podcasts for the weird at heart. Ah!